1: The sad passing of actor Bill Paxton is Allison Joyland from Milwaukee Ghosts. Hi, everybody. And UFO author and screenwriter Mark O'Connell. Thanks for joining us again, Mark. Thanks for
2: inviting me back. now, like, Allison. It's great to be here.
1: <laughs> yes. We wanted to talk about Bill Paxton today, really because, number one, he was a great genre actor. Yeah. You know, I think when it comes to, like, science fiction and horror, Bill Paxton's the kind... Of, I mean, he just has showed up in every movie. <laughs> He's been killed by an alien, a predator, and the Terminator.
3: Quite a repertoire.
1: Yeah. And, I mean, he just... You find him in, like, so many different genre films. I guess I just... I, I felt a personal loss, you know, and we'll get more to his history and, and talk a little bit. And, and Mark had known him personally, so that's why we wanted to have Mark on the show particularly to talk about him. But... Uh, I felt the personal loss of Bill Paxton. I used to keep, I used to have these aliens quotes in buttons that I wore on like a jean jacket in high school.
3: Because <laughs> you're just that cool.
1: <laughs> I was just that cool, but I, I I got them at Gen Con, which was the when they had aliens like role playing game. But it had like express elevator to hell going down. Like I had that on there, and I had like a game over man button on there, and so. Uh, you know, I, I, Bill Hudson's character in Aliens was Hudson. He was the, uh, I guess they say, defeatist colonial marine. The most of all of the, of all of the space marines. He was the one who was the most defeatist because uh, every time a new problem happened, he'd just be like, "We're gonna die, man. We're gonna, <laughs> it, it, that's it. We're dead. Game over, man." Like, it's the whole thing. Anyway, so uh, to talk a little bit about uh, him, born May seventeenth, nineteen fifty-five. Uh, he's a Texan. And moved to California and just started to get into acting, directing, things like that. I was doing some research on him. And I'd known this before, but I forgot about it. He's the guy that directed the Roly Poly Fish Heads video on Saturday Night Live.
3: Yeah, I hadn't known that. I mean, that was really a surprise for me. You know, it's a short that I guess I know too well. <laughs> I really had an right. impression on us as kids. And uh, I, I was really surprised to learn that uh, Bill Paxton directed that because it's, it's it's kind of eternal in a way <laughs> and you should right. definitely link to that in the show
1: notes we will you can put the whole because vi- the whole video is on youtube but if you, if you guys don't remember what it is it's this just think fish heads fish heads roly poly fish heads and yeah. it's like in the in the video it's fish like playing baseball or at the beach <laughs> and it's just this classic like late 70s and you, you, they film it in California, obviously. And it's a song that was on Dr. Timento And it's just this people acting weird, looking weird.
3: Avant-garde. When you
1: think about music videos and how music videos used to be, uh, which was a lot of times was just weird people showing up places and looking at the camera. That's what the Fish Heads video is.
2: That's such a good description, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm a big uh, Dr. Timento fan from way back. So Fish Heads is definitely part of my uh, youth. youth.
3: Oh yeah, Doctor Demento on LPX. Right, <laughs> Sunday nights, right? Was it Sunday nights?
2: Yeah, yeah, oh, Sunday man. nights from ten to midnight. I'd have you... to, I'd have to pretend to go to sleep and then get it <laughs> and sneak over to the radio and turn it on real low to listen to Doctor Demento, oh, and my hope God. My that my brother's sleeping. But you oh, know, that's great. you can
3: really tell that we're all from the same hometown. <laughs> <laughs> I that was so. a Big Ben yeah. thing we're dying of boredom in Dullesville um, Dr. Demento yes, is that, is that... <laughs> <I>
1: think... <laughs> that was always a classic that the, you know the Dr. Demento business the fish heads and so, that, so Bill Paxton like gets into like weird outsider culture right away in his career you know and, right. and I think that most of us know him from the various like the James Cameron films that he was in because he's number one he's the first person who is murdered by the Terminator when the Terminator comes back uh-huh. So if you guys remember the scene in the first Terminator, they repeat this scene. Bill Paxton's not in the Terminator Genesis, but they repeat this scene in Terminator Genesis. He comes, so the Terminator comes back and he shows up like at Griffith Park in Los Angeles, and that's a location that's used in a uh, like a thousand different movies. You guys know what I'm talking about. It's, a, yeah. it's an observatory on top of a hill. It's also haunted.
2: La La Land. Oh, they do. I haven't seen La La Land, so they show it in La La Land. Big, big number that takes place at the Griffith Park, inside and outside the Griffith Park observatory. In
1: La La Land. Okay, cool. And Lala La Land, like, the Terminator doesn't show up and kill Ryan Gosling or anything like that, does he? Is that the big scene? No, <laughs> oh, we can hope. Did I spoil the movie? <laughs> it's close to that. It's Give, close to that. All right. Give me the keys, your clothes, your keys, your keys your motorcycle. And Ryan, and he just, and he, what do you mean? And he has got a fist through his chest. Okay. <laughs> But that's the thing is like, how could one guy be around so many different and interesting films that are really specific to the, you know, they always made that joke that, well, Bill Pullman versus Bill Paxton. Like, how do you tell them apart? And I think it's just, I mean, Bill Pullman hasn't been in as many, he's been in some classics, Spaceballs, obviously, Independence Day. Yeah, but uh, what about like the he serpent had
3: in the rainbow. We don't forget that. One. Oh, my God. I forgot he's in <laughs> the
1: Serpent and the Rainbow. Okay, but he hasn't been as close to the center of the action as Bill Paxton was. Right. So I always thought that, like, he was always kind of a side character. You know, yeah. he's Chet in Weird Science, the guy that gets turned into a big pile of poop at the end.
3: Well, see, I'm just surprised, you know, looking through his um, filmography that he was in so many different movies, you know, not just genre movies, but just the incredible amount of uh, work that he got. And I- I'm just shocked that I- he died. I... I was like, you know, you, you were texting me about, hey, let's do an episode about Philip Paxton. I'm like, why? And, and you're <laughs> like, he's dead. What? And uh, that was really, really a shock to me. And, and so Mike, he was the first to die in the Terminator movie. So he was like that punk rock guy. Yeah. So what, what happened? Can you can you rewind for us? Cause it's been a while.
1: Okay. And so th- this is probably the first time I ever saw you well, know, the first time I probably ever saw Bill Paxton was the fish heads video. Because like, I was probably six years old or five years old, it's on Sarah Night Live, and I'm like, oh well, like why is this so weird? And you know, mom's probably going,
3: What is this? Yeah, like, well why? you let us this watch isn't... SNL, okay?
1: Yeah, it's true. <laughs> right. But she'd be you know, she'd be like, Why why are they doing that? What's with the fish heads? I right. don't this yeah. is stupid. <laughs> Uh, and then we'd be laughing and then she just wouldn't get it. And I, I love it. Right. But okay. So you'd probably see the first Terminator. Um, it's the first time I saw Bill Paxton. And so what happens is Arnold, you know, he gets all buck naked. And this is the glory days of Arnold, like 1983, yeah. when he's just coming off Mr. Universe. And he's still like I now. He's still pretty good. He still is pretty good. But he's just, <laughs> he's a little saggy, you know, I'm not what I used to be. But he's, I mean, he comes from the future He shows up in that big ball of lightning or whatever And then he's at the observatory And like, I don't know if Punk rock guys would ever like hang out At the Griffith Park Observatory I wasn't there in the, I mean, I think it's more Tourists, but okay Uh, I mean, Mark, were you there at all In the early 80s? Was it it a punk rock Hangout? (laughs) Okay (laughs) Yeah Right. So I guess all the science geeks had mohawks and they were, uh, listen, so you have the opening scene and then you have three people approach the Terminator. And one is Bill Paxton. The other is Brian, I can't remember his last name, but he played like the alien bounty hunter in the X-Files. He's like a really tall, ugly dude that's in a lot of different movies. Yeah, and he—he's the alien bounty hunter in the X Files. He yeah. was in this horrible show called Kindred. Oh, the embraced. I love, the,
3: I love Kindred. Come on, I love Kindred and, the embraced. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh. so Come he's on. in that show, uh, but he's a uh, so the, you have two guys who eventually would be in a lot of genre shows, and then um, you know Bill Paxton says something obnoxious to Arnold, and Arnold's like, "Give me your clothes." And he's like, no, what are you going to do about it? And then Arnold shoves like a pipe through him.
3: Oh, okay. So real, real dramatic. Well, yes. we got to go out, you know, go out dramatically.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah, he does. So he goes out in a big way. So he's the first person that the Terminator kills in the Terminator. And uh, it's, just a, it's just a nice memory. <laughs> uh, but I mean, <laughs> The thing is, that stretch in the 80s, though, so many influential films. And I guess his way of being around it, like he he doesn't get the main parts, you know, he, he doesn't really get the main parts until Twister. Uh, yeah, Twister was a pivotal role. But in the big genre films, he's always there. Uh, so the Terminator, he gets killed right away, obviously. And he's friends with Jam- James Cameron, which that doesn't hurt, you know, to be in that wheelhouse. He's also, I mean, Aliens is probably his most famous role for a lot. of people, Probably his best role for a lot of people because he gets, he really steals the scenes as Hudson getting all the great lines in Aliens. And that's part of, you know, James Cameron did The Terminator, does Aliens. And James Cameron's girlfriend, or he's always married and like getting divorced and then finding the next girl when you read about his, James Cameron. His, pa- but,
3: his paramour.
1: So James Cameron's paramour is Catherine Bigelow. Who eventually won the best picture for the the Hurt Locker, or whatever, which was that was a good movie too. If you're into war movies, but my favorite work of hers is a movie called Near Dark, mm, and tell us about Bill it. Paxton. Oh, it's about vampires roaming around the wild, like not the Wild West, but the the modern West. It's got um. Adrian Pazdar is the main character who eventually will be an Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. He's the general in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, who, who Bill Paxton appeared there. And so he's a, he's a guy that falls in love with a pretty blonde girl. And what happens to her is that uh, she's a vampire and she starts turning him into a vampire. So there's this whole thing where he, has, he starts going around with this gang of vampires. And one of the vampires is Lance Henriksen as this hey. old, mean, confederate vampire. From
3: Millennium. And from Millennium.
1: Lance Henriksen is also in The Terminator. He's also in Aliens.
3: And every bad sci-fi movie, it seems.
1: Yeah, no, Lance Henriksen will act for... <laughs> I mean,
2: he will act for food. <laughs> he was in Close Encounters of the Third Kind, too. Oh. I didn't... Oh, oh, oh man. man. So, so he... I mean... He's kind of Francois Truffaut's uh, silent assistant. He's always sort of hovering in the background.
1: Really? Oh, okay. And... Uh, just uh, Francois Truffaut and Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Obviously, Mark is a Close Encounters expert. Right. But Francois Truffaut is the French guy in the middle of the film that finds the World War II fighters that come in, right?
3: Would you say he's uh, modeled after uh, Jacques Vallée?
1: Uh,
2: yeah. Definitely. Uh, there's, okay. There's more of that in my book, so I don't want to say too much.
3: Oh <laughs> right! Oh, and and when is your book coming out? We we need to have you back on for that. But
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. But we're, you... I don't, I don't, I don't mean to sidetrack. It's coming out yeah. June 13th. Mm-mm. Well, I know you can edit all this. Hi, Wendy. Hello.
0: Sorry, I didn't want to butt in. <laughs>
2: no, that's all right. Okay, I'm
0: sorry so, to be late to the party, but it's good to see you again,
1: Mark, <laughs> and Allison and Mike, of course. So we were just talking about the movie Near Dark. Mark's book's coming out in June, and we're gonna have much more with Mark when, when that, that's coming out, and uh, to be able to talk about his book on the UFO man, the Close Encounters man, Jay Allen Heine. Awesome! I'm excited for that one. Yes. So near dark is all these vampires roaming around uh, the American West, and
3: instead of cowboys and aliens, it's like cowboys and
1: vampires. <laughs> well, it's not. They're not cowboys. It's more. You know, it's 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 kind of a western, but it's set in the modern day. All right. So they're going to, like, uh, bars in the middle of nowhere. They're staying at motels, like, on dusty highways. And it's the struggle of this guy. Like, what's going to happen? How is he, he? He gets assimilated into this vampire group, of which Bill Paxton is, like, the crazy, fun vampire. He, once, it, once again, it's a movie. He gets all the good lines. Um, oh. Is, right he, before, is he, like, right, the leader? No, the leader is, is Lance Henriksen. Okay. And so, anyway, th- this guy falls in love with this girl vampire. Then there's a big thing at the end. It's also blood transfusion near dark. It's a 30 year old movie this year, and it is one of the finest vampire films uh, out there. So, and Bill Paxton's a main part of making it fun. And so that's what I mean. Like, whenever something really good shows up, like The Terminator, like Aliens, like Weird Science, for some reason Bill Paxton's there. Like he, how how did he get there the whole time?
3: Yeah, and uh, like Agents of Shield too. Uh, you know he was a pivotal character in Agents of Shield as well when the whole Hydra thing went down.
1: Right, he was there when Agents of Shield actually became a good, like, went from a boring show to a, a really good show. So,
3: like, what happened? <laughs> a real surprise.
1: So Bill Paxton, he always finds his way into all these things. Whether it's a Mar- like, so he's he's a character in the Marvels universe. He's in the Terminator, Predator. He's in Predator too which is the lesser of the Predator films, it's still pretty fun. So he always found his way to do that. Now, I think this would be a good time to get some the personal remembrances of him because while I have, you know, like 3,000 film remembrances of him, I have no personal ones. And Mark, now you met him and you almost worked with him. Can we hear a little bit about that story?
2: Yeah, yeah. It, it, it needs a little background first. It concerns a, a feature film screenplay that I wrote in the late 90s called Doug and Dave, which was a comedy based on a true story about these two elderly British pub mates who became world famous in the early 90s when they took credit for creating all the crop circles that appear in Southern England every August and September. And the story appealed to me because, um, first of all, because Everybody wanted to believe that what they were saying was true. So many people wanted to believe, oh, yes, thank God. Here's a rational explanation for the crop circles. We we can stop talking about UFOs and the earth goddess. It's just these two old drunks who are doing this. Thank God. Now we can move on. So that was a big part of the story that I found really amusing. The other part of the story that appealed to me was that their celebrity only lasted about two weeks. They were revealed as frauds when they were they were set up to create a crop circle on a British TV show uh, live on TV, and they couldn't do it. So they had to admit that they had been lying about the whole thing. So the idea that they had hoaxed a hoax, I thought was pretty hilarious and made for a great story. So I, I, I heavily fictionalized the story, wrote this screenplay about it, um, and in the early... In the early aughts, say around 2000, 2001, uh, the script was optioned by a production company. And for a while, it looked like they were going to get financing together um, to produce the movie and, with Bill Paxton attached to direct. Um, and that was, that was really, really exciting um, for me at that point. Because this, this, uh, this, this was my first movie script. I had done some TV work. But this was my first movie script that really was getting some serious attention. It looked like it might actually get made. So, so the idea that you know a name talent like Bill Paxton was interested in directing it was just huge, huge for me. Um, but then that producer was not able to put together the financing, so that whole thing just kind of died down.
1: And so this was going to be more than just the Fish
2: Head sequel, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> this was going to be
1: Fish, fish Heads be a, a Two
2: by Mark O'Connell. Stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they, at, at the time, they were talking about a budget of twelve to fifteen million for the movie. It was, you know, wow. it, oh man, it was a pretty big deal. But it fell through because the producer wasn't able to secure all the financing. In the meantime, Bill went on to direct um, this very strange, atmospheric um, murder movie called Frailty.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah. That's yeah. Matthew McConaughey. This nice. is b- even before
2: the McConaissance. This is when he was studly the first time.
1: <laughs> McConaissance. <laughs> <Yeah>,
2: exactly. <laughs> Matthew McConaughey and Powers Booth and it's a really really creepy movie.
3: It uh, is so good. I love yeah. that movie.
2: It's great. I it, and and very few people know about it or have seen it because it kind of came and went when it was when it was first released. But um it was Bill's first feature film directing job. And for a first timer, uh, I thought he did incredibly well. It's the movie is just, the movie just oozes creepiness from. So disturbing. Yeah, it's really a nasty, creepy movie. So,
1: And it's a, it's a Texas movie, too. So I think he used yeah. some of that part of his, his roots of growing up in Texas. And there's, like, Western movies, and there's New York movies. There's Kali, And there really is, a, like, a genre now, especially with the hell and high water, if you guys saw that movie oh, from yeah. last year. There's, like, a Texas movie. And it's understanding the topography and the weather and all that kind of stuff that gives you that feeling of uh, – Especially a lot of that movie takes place like Texas in the 1970s.
3: Yeah, a real sense of place.
1: And I think he captured that really well in that particular film, Frailty. And w- which, I mean, even Roger Ebert gave four stars, like I remember seeing in the theater. And it's got demons. It's, I mean, it, it really is a, a creepy one. But Mark, you're telling us that he directed Frailty instead of your movie?
2: Yes, I know. It's <laughs> no! I still, I still have a hard time with that. But that's the way the cookie crumbles, man.
3: Well, how did he find out about your movie? How did he get yeah. attached to it? I mean, what's the whole backstory behind that? Like, how'd you meet and stuff like that?
2: It was due to, again, it was due to this first producer who had optioned my script, uh, Doug and Dave, in uh, 1990. Uh, I'm sorry, in, in either 2000 or 2001. And sh- that she uh, was put, like I said, she had raised 40% of the financing for the film uh, she had some partners who were very well connected. And I guess what I remember from all of that was it was known in the industry that Bill Paxton really wanted to develop a career as a director. He um, you know, he he had already done some things. Cameron movies, he and Cameron were really good buddies and From the way he described it to me, years later, Cameron sort of was his mentor and teacher. And it was sort of, you know, real life Hollywood directing school working with James Cameron. So, um, so, so word was out in Hollywood at the time that Bill Paxton wanted to establish a career as a director. So this producer who had optioned my script, um, you know, just went, went through channels and contacted him and got the script to him and he he just really loved the script and, and wanted to do it. so, um, so, yeah, he went on to direct frailty. and even though even though, yes, he should have done my movie instead, I can't <laughs> of complain course. I can't complain because frailty led to um his next opportunity, which came a couple years later. I had, things had kind of died down with my script, Doug and Dave, for a couple of years. And then in early two thousand and six, at this time, I'm working my day job at a publishing company here in Fort Atkinson, Wisconsin. My office phone rings one afternoon. And I pick up the phone. Say hello. And this voice says, Mark, it's Bill Paxton. How have you been? <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> hey, that's, a pre- that's pretty good. though. <laughs> I just kind of went silent for a second or two. I probably said, excuse me into the phone or something. Cause I, is this a prank call <laughs> out of the blue? And I, and I just said, well, I, I think the first thing I actually got out of my mouth was how, how did you get this phone number? And turned out he had, he had gotten back in touch with that producer from a couple years earlier and gotten my contact info from her.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: <clears throat> so once I get over my shock at having, uh, Bill Paxton on the on my office of <laughs> the company where I work. Um, he says, listen, he was listen, I'm directing a new feature for Disney. And he said, my stock is really high at Disney. They're they're in love with my movie. We're, we're predicting big things for the movie. And he said, for a follow-up, they're going to let me do anything I want. And I want it to be your script, Doug and
3: Dave.
0: Oh, wow.
2: <laughs> cool. Uh, I mean, I just, I was, Oh,
3: you plots, I bet.
2: Wow. Totally, totally. Totally
3: plots.
2: (laughs) So he says, look, um, he said, My movie, the movie I'm directing now is called The Greatest Game Ever Played. He goes, We're we're in post-production on it now, coming out in the summer. Said my budget for greatest game was 24 million. He said Disney's gonna give me equal to that or more for my second feature. Wow. So at least twenty four million for the budget and he said I, I really want to do this. He said, I, I love your script. I've always loved it. He said I think it's a I think it's an instant classic.
3: Oh man.
1: Of of right. You're like, hey from the guy that was an
2: aliens, you're like, can I, can I, use that I mean, quote, that's please. another
3: one for a button. <laughs> instant classic.
2: Right. Uh, instant classic, baby. Bill Paxton. So, but one of <laughs> one of my favorite things about the story is is why Bill connected with the script. So as I mentioned, it the script was about these two, these two elderly British drinking buddies who became famous for for taking credit for making crop circles. Um, an interesting detail about these guys that I learned when I first started reading about them was that they were both landscape artists, hmm. and that just really clicked with me. I just thought, oh well, th- here's the metaphor: they're they're landscape artists and they're creating crop circles. They're creating landscape art literally. <laughs> right on the biggest canvas you can imagine
3: on a grand scale
2: um, yeah and there was just something about that that really clicked with me and suddenly the movie suddenly the the story i was telling was was a lot more than just a goofy story about these two goofy guys getting in trouble uh and lying and and and, and you know making fools of themselves all of a sudden it was a story about about art and the artistic process and um, the nature of artistic inspiration and 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 uh, you know and uh, um, and how art affects us. How and and basically, then the movie script became the question of the script became who cares who made the crop circles? The important thing is how they affect us when we look at them and when we think about them and when we're in their presence. So who really cares who made them? So and that's what. Bill was attracted to in the script because he told me that um, his dad in Texas had been a big art collector. And I, and I, I think he may have even said that his dad owned an art gallery. I, I can't remember that. But I know he said his dad was a big art collector. And so he grew up in a household filled with art and where artists were, you know, frequent guests at the house. So that was kind of he was just steeped in in that as he grew up. And so he really, and he saw that in my script, and that's, what he, and that's mm-hmm. what he was into. So I thought that was pretty cool. He and I ended up having a lot of things in common, just, just goofy little things that I, I thought was pretty neat. So I, you know, I, I I kind of, I thought we clicked pretty well. He was, uh, I always enjoyed his call. So for like six months, while he was doing post production on Greatest Game Ever Played, he, he would call me. Up every every couple of weeks and just fill me in on. Okay, here's what's going on with the movies. Like we're doing the score now, you know. Or he would he would just give me the step by step on what they were doing to finish, uh, to finish Greatest Game, and just give me an update on. You know, here's the latest with Disney. Here's 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 what we're looking at, you know, for the follow up movie. And so that was really awesome. I was getting these regular updates from Bill Paxton on not only on yeah. my movie, but the movie he was working on at that That's time. That's amazing. It was just, it was so much fun. You guys yeah. I can't tell you how much fun it was to be on the receiving end of these phone calls oh. and, you know, and Bill's treating me like, you know, his creative partner.
3: Yeah. Dispatches from Hollywood. I mean, from right. the field. That's so exciting.
2: It, it was, it was pretty amazing.
1: Well, you guys had talked about crop circles and, you know, he had been in a lot of, genre films and paranormal stuff. Did he ever mention that he saw a UFO or anything? He's like, he's like, well, crop circles, you know? Yeah. There's gotta Uh, be a place. Like, uh, did he mention any kind of weird stuff ever happened to him?
2: You know, if, if that was the case, he never mentioned it to me, but you know, a lot of people, a lot of people who experience things like that, never tell a soul about it. That's so true. true. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But so, so we have this fun thing going for like five or six months leading up to the release of Greatest Game, and now I'm psyched, I'm going to get a movie made, and it's my favorite script I've ever written, so I'm doubly psyched about that. And then uh, and then Greatest Game comes out, and it flops. It yep. absolutely tanks. It earned like $4 million on its first weekend in release. It was horrible. It was <laughs> absolutely horrible. So that was a huge blow. That didn't necessarily wipe out my movie though, but what what happened next is 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 where the problem started. Um so Greatest Game is a it's a it's a golf movie. It's about um it's a true story that takes place I think in in the context of the US Open in which a young caddy who was just an incredibly gifted golfer a young caddy actually gets entered into the US Open and beats the world champion mm, right so you know it's your it's your classic underdog sports movie uh, you know it pushes all the right buttons it's a really fun story it's really inspiring and the star the person who played this young caddy was Shia LaBeouf ah who at the time nobody knew who he was except the millions of kids who watched him on the Disney channel.
1: Yeah. He was even Stevens or something.
2: Yes, exactly. Mm. Okay. Okay. (laughs) And I, you know, I know I've, I saw that show once or twice. I don't remember anything about it, but I do remember that Shia LaBeouf was pretty funny and charming in that show. So this is his first leading role in a feature film. Um, and the so the movie does disastrously, and a short time after the movie is released, uh, Bill Paxton is invited onto a talk show on ESPN, and they start talking about the movie, the greatest game ever played, and Bill starts complaining about Disney's marketing, oh, and no. he says, "No, says, yeah, he says here's what Disney did wrong." He said okay. they were showing, they were running commercials for my movie on the Disney Channel because they wanted to attract the people who love Shia LaBeouf. But he said those ki- those kids aren't going to go see a golf movie. No, he said Disney's well, right, should- right, <laughs> absolutely right. He said Disney should have been advertising on your show here on ESPN. That's the audience. That's the that's the viewer for this movie. So he was really upset about that marketing decision that disney had made and then he complained about it very very loudly on espn and that didn't make him any friends at disney so just like that his relationship with disney was over at least as far as you know directing another film so so that's what happened so that's how the project died um and you know so that was 2006 and i i hadn't talked with bill since then Uh, i think we may have exchanged one or two uh, emails over the years, but it wasn't anything more than that. Um, but the other cool thing about that story though, was I vacationed in Los Angeles that summer about a month before greatest game, uh, premiered and bill invited me up to, uh, I can't remember exactly where it was, but it was about an hour North of Los Angeles. Um,
1: which could be like two miles from Los Angeles with, when you say an hour. or It could be across the street with the way the traffic is.
0: Walking or driving? <laughs>
2: right. What difference does it make? <laughs> exactly. <Right. laughs>
0: Walking is faster? I don't know.
2: <laughs> so, so I get an invitation up to the set of Bill's new TV show, of which, mm. of which I know nothing. So I get up to where they're shooting the show, and it's, the set is this gigantic warehouse and i walk inside and the tv the tv show is big love the series that he did ah. on HBO from i i think it started it, i think it started that year 2006 i think he was just in production on the first season at that point so i walk into this uh, this gigantic warehouse or aircraft hangar or whatever the hell it was just a huge huge building and see that they have, I don't know if you remember much about the show Big Love, but Bill played a Mormon who had three wives. And the funny thing about the arrangement was that he, his character owned a home improvement store. So he built three homes right next to each other on the same street. <laughs> right. In the, in the fictional world of the show, he's built these three homes right next to each other with awesome. his family. And none of the neighbors have apparently ever notice anything <laughs> odd. But but they had built three full-size houses on this soundstage with full wow. interior. I was amazed. I have never seen that kind of set for a, a film or TV production before. It was so elaborate. I was just stunned. So I got to spend the day. I met the show's creators. I met Chloe Sevigny. Got to hang around with Bill. Got to have lunch with Bill in his trailer. And at that point, oh, you know, nice. totally. Yeah, it was so fun. And he's still totally psyched about, um greatest game he thinks that's going to be a huge hit and i and the the big big thing i remember from that conversation in his trailer was he got philosophical for a minute and he just said you know he was just talking about you know it was kind of one of these how did i end up here kind of talks like so here i am i'm starting this tv series he's like i never saw myself doing a tv series but here i am So he was getting a little philosophical about his career and I just remember at one point he said, But you know what? He said, Anybody who's got a film like Apollo thirteen on their credit list has had a pretty good career. He goes, All you need is all you need is one Apollo thirteen on your credit list. And you've done pretty And I I thought that was pretty cool. So clearly, you know, if you were to ask him which movie are you most proud of, he probably would have said Apollo thirteen. It's a good one. <laughs> it is. It's, it's it's a great one. It's I would say, Mighty Joe. It's a classic. Oh. No one gets no mm-hmm. one gets gutted by
1: anything in Apollo <laughs> right. thirteen. Yeah. So it's. Right. It, you I would have else? picked it as my
2: favorite, but it's a good movie. Another another one of Bill's movies that I would pick as a favorite is uh, again, and it's again James Cameron, True Lies. Yeah. Oh, yes. Where Bill plays the sleazy little con man who's trying to trying to make Jamie Lee Curtis believe that he's an international spy. I thought he was hilarious in that movie. Yeah, he wets his pants in a car with Arnold. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What 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 better career moment could you have? <laughs> right. It's a great memory. I thought he was really a, a terrific guy. I think it's really too bad that his, that his directing career never took off, not only for my personal sake. Of course, I would have loved it if it had. But, you know, for his sake, I thought that – the The guy was really, really talented, and and he, you know I I think he, I think he really wanted to to um you know develop that part of his career, and I think it's a shame that it you know he never got to go any further. Well,
1: that is, and it's too bad he didn't get to make your film, which you know obviously we think is tragic because be because then we'd be talking about how sweet your movie was right now, uh, and be like that you know I want to remember that movie Bill anyway. Paxton. Uh, as the director of the beloved classic Doug and Dave. But one of the things I'm like, so as far as the kind of guy to work with, you know, he's appearing in so many different kinds of films, so many different genre films. Directors keep coming back to him time and time again, like we said, like James Cameron, obviously. But like what kind of, you know, personality or what kind of energy did you feel he, he had? Was it something Were you like it was he an exciting person to work with and talk to and uh, or was he more laid back?
2: Um, he was not laid back. He was always, he was always, every time I talked with him and this, and when I met him on set, he just seemed kind of, it was sort of this combination of just being really, really excited about his work. And at the same time, like I said, on the set of big love, there was also just a little bit of like, almost bewilderment and disbelief and sort of, damn, I'm so lucky that I, that I have this career. I'm not sure how it happened, even, but I'm so, so lucky. And I know he felt really, really lucky about having this fantastic um, very long relationship, creative relationship, and friendship with james Cameron. And I, I mm-hmm. you know, he mentioned that a few times, too, that that was such a big thing in his life. And he was like, "Can you imagine, mark? i'm I'm learning how to direct looking over James Cameron's shoulder, you know? because the, the the picture I got was that was that James Cameron was really really generous with you know letting letting Bill look over his shoulder
3: mm-hmm.
2: and, you know, and just you know letting Bill just sort of be there be there when he was doing his work so what an so opportunity that's, that's, yeah yeah a fantastic opportunity and you know Bill just seemed like just tickled to death that he was lucky enough to have that in his life
3: you know what i guys i cannot believe it took me this long but I just recalled something paranormal about Bill Paxton. Ooh! And I don't know if uh, you know anything about this, Mark. But, uh, yeah, so I, um, a few years ago, went on this uh, vacation where every night we tried to stay at somewhere haunted. And it was through throughout Wisconsin and uh, the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. And so one of the places we stayed was the Hotel Schwamagon, in Ashland, Wisconsin. And that's up by Lake Superior.
1: Yeah, now, so anybody out there in, in in podcast land, Ashland, Wisconsin is the farthest you can go up in Wisconsin. You're basically in Canada. You're basically in the Arctic Circle well, by the time you get oh, to It's not quite
3: like Bayfield, but it is up there, right? And uh so I I wanted to stay there because I had heard about Billy Bob Thornton's ghost experience there at Hotel Schwamagon. During the filming of *A Simple Plan* back in 1998.
1: So um, wait, wait, hold hold on a second. Billy Bob Thornton had a ghost experience, and and *A Simple Plan* is also and *A Simple Plan* is also directed by Sam Raimi, the man who brought us *The Evil Dead*.
3: Yes, and who else is in *A Simple Plan* besides Billy Bob?
1: Bill Paxton. Oh
3: yeah, I forgot. He's everywhere. (laughs) So I knew that Billy Bob um, had seen a ghost there. But what I didn't know was that Bill Paxton had as well that um oh man, so this is this is just coming to me, so I didn't go back and do any research uh to you know find all the details but um so uh we we stayed there and i I wanted to you know I always call and I'm like, I want the haunted room so unfortunately though, they didn't give me bill Paxton 's room or Billy Bob's room, uh they gave me a room um which was a suite, of course, <laughs> that had uh, been, been uh, investigated by some paranormal investigators recently. And I really wanted the Billy Bob room um, and, and would have wanted the Bill Paxton room uh, had I known about it. But um, so the day after our stay, um, I'm talking to the front desk clerks, of course, and uh, tell them that, you know, we stayed in the haunted room. But then I'm asking about a simple plan. And they say, oh, well, let's, let's show you the rooms where Billy Bob and, and Bill Paxton stayed. And apparently they both saw um, this woman in Victorian dress in the hotel and um, were quite shocked about it. And I believe they did uh, both um, uh, demand to uh, change rooms.
0: That's a pretty awesome story, Allison.
3: There you go. <laughs> there you uh, go.
1: Oh, that, that that's is. all I
3: know. But Billy ba- uh, uh, but, but Bill Paxton um, did, did, uh, apparently have an interaction with a ghost in Wisconsin,
0: but did you see anything else? And did you see the Victorian lady?
3: <laughs> no, come on. I would have called you up like immediately. Well,
0: or, I don't, you know. I didn't know if this, if this was recently or if this was, you know, years ago before, before yeah. we talked every week.
3: <laughs> yeah this this um this was a, a few years ago but i still would have i would
0: have yeah, heard about it for sure
3: yeah i would have been like, i had my mic like like on the speed dial <laughs> <all real>.
0: so, <laughs> so no sightings so for you i'm sorry, Allison. sorry Allison. no
3: i, I try. try i really I always, always hope one, one of these days, days. Yeah. yeah yeah well well, well, you, well know, you know i i, I did, did see that orb of light with my own eyeballs but um yeah so i'll let you know when i see that full body operation still holding on hope i'm rooting for you so he so he did have an interaction with a ghost. I know that. Um, yeah, because so we don't know if he saw a UFO. We do know he probably saw a ghost. But uh, did your conversations with Bill ever hinge on the on the paranormal, Mark? I mean, did they ever get into that zone of?
2: No, they wondering didn't. Which, about life? which is kind of funny because Doug and Dave is all about the paranormal. Right. Right. But, but, when we talked about the script, he you know, what he focused on was was that, you know the the secondary story about um, about the artistic impulse. That was what was really, really fascinating to him. so that's that's what he wanted to talk about.
3: right. So, that, that's so no, that's I don't remember angle
2: If we did talk about the paranormal elements, it, it must not have been much because I really don't I have no memory of us ever talking about that. So, it would have been interesting to see how he would have handled those elements. You know, if he had directed the movie,
3: yeah, because you know it, his his choice of films, I mean, does kind of skew that way towards the paranormal, towards uh, aliens, vampires, science fiction, etc. Science fiction, yeah.
1: Weird science, literally weird, weird science. science. Uh, <laughs> yo. <laughs> well, you know, one thing I was going to say when we talk about his his directorial choices and the, and the reason he may have been really attracted to Doug and Dave is that. I think Frailty is an excellent example because that's a movie where, Mark, when you were describing it, you were describing it about like a a series of Texas murders. And it is, but it's also got a real strong paranormal element to it. But that's kind of a, because it's about a, 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 so Bill Paxton actually, he acts in the film too and he plays a father that says he sees demons and has his son help him kill people that he says are demons.
3: Yeah. But they,
1: you, you never really see the people as demons. Besides the things that are meant to be hallucinatory or psychedelic, it's not like, you know, there's there's twists and things like that. But but in the film, it's not like they're really, like demons show up and it's with wings and horns and you know, like hey everybody, I'm a demon. So there's nothing obvious there, and so he's presenting that movie as a here's a here's a straightforward paranormal story, but. We never really know if it's in everybody's head or uh, if it's happening in real life. And so he portrays it like that. So looking at your script, that may have been something where he was really attracted to the idea that it's these guys that said they were doing it. They were hoaxing the hoax, right? They were, they were saying well, we're the ones that created the crop circles. Uh, so it's a way to make a movie about aliens without having to have a UFO.
2: I think that's interesting. I I had never really seen the parallel between Doug and Dave and frailty, but I think you're onto something there. It's kind of
3: like um, Henry James' like turn of the screw. If you guys are familiar with that story, Mm -hmm. um, you know, frailty reminds me of that. And also, you know, Doug and Dave could be seen that way, too. And and a lot of movies go this way, where they question reality, like, well, what really happened? And, like, you have an observer, you have a, a narrator, you know that is unreliable uh, in this, those stories, so so you don't you feel like in a way you don't really know the true true story. So like you know with the turn of the screw, it was a, a governess in Victorian uh, England who believes these children that are her, her charges are being haunted and in imminent imminent peril by ghosts and uh, you know put into you know some very scary situations. And, uh, you know, and so has a tragic ending. And so you're wondering, you know, is this this just a product of, um, you know, some kind of uh, psychological disorder that the governess is suffering from? Or was she really right? Were these children being haunted?
2: Well, and that that reminds me of of, you know, the, the phenomenal. Ultra creepy twist in frailty when we find out at the end of the movie, Bill Paxton really wasn't crazy, right? all those people that he and his sons killed or his son I can't remember it was one or two all those people really were horrible horrible people who who deserved to die and uh and that's part of really
1: what makes it you know a great ending because it's like a twist in your back after you're already there's already a couple of twists in your back and then you're like oh yeah and so you realize these people were deserve what they were getting all along so then you get some you know you get, get some post movie you're like yeah i can feel good about but enjoying that part now. Uh, but it's funny though, I was going to say that working with him, he must have been a pretty grounded fellow because of all of the big genre movies he appeared. And we talked from Twister to the Aliens franchise to uh, Predator 2 to like, oh, and and that Big Love, which was a high level HBO series where he's with Harry, Harry Dean Stanton, plays his father in Big Love. Harry Dean Stanton, who uh, was also famously killed by an alien uh, in the first movie. <laughs> um, but he does all that, and and then like this week, this week I'm enjoying some Netflix, and so I want to see some Bill Paxton classics, and he's in like this crapola movie from 2013 called The Colony, uh, and, which is just a you know a sci-fi low budget, you know it would have been on VHS, you'd have rented at the you know at the at the grocery store in 1992, but now that things are directed Netflix, but it's him and Lawrence Fishburne, and obviously they needed a pool or something. And you know, so they're like, "Oh yeah, we'll be there." And the, the fact is, uh, he, he plays he plays like a jerk military character, and his his role isn't that big, but he makes a big impact in every in every scene that he's in. And so, he takes what would be like a potboiler with, and there's some couple of pretty boy actors, you know, and they're they're nice to look at, but they never have enough. There's no. <laughs> There's no screen presence, you know what I mean? Like it's like, oh my god, that you know that girl is—they picked her off because she's a model or whatever. Um, but obviously, dialogue and, and talking isn't her strong suit. Uh, but when he comes into a scene, it elevates everything, and you—it's like all of a sudden he makes these you new know, actors who obviously aren't very talented um, brings them up to a level where they have to react. They have to be with them, you know, they have to be present with them. And it's a sense of fun. You can tell he's relishing his role as this mean bad guy, military character. And he'll do that same kind of character in uh, the edge of tomorrow, which was if you now not, not a lot of people have seen it, even though it's Tom Cruise and stuff, but it's Tom Cruise's best movie I think in, in a few years called the edge of tomorrow. And Uh, Bill Paxton plays essentially the same kind of gruff military commander character, but he brings the same level of intensity and enjoyment to that film, which is a a great movie, to The Colony, which is the kind of thing you watch on Netflix when there's nothing, you know, when Ancient Aliens isn't on the History Channel or whatever.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, here's another uh, movie along those same lines, another Netflix or sort of, uh, uh, you know, direct-to-video Feature film that Bill Paxton was in. I, I don't know when this was made, but it was called Slipstream. Have you ever heard mm. of Slipstream? Well, Mark get, Hamill. Exactly. Dream casting. Bill Paxton, Mark Hamill, and Sir Ben Kingsley. Ooh. Uh, all in this bizarre science fiction uh, future dystopia world where there's like, there's a. If I remember it right, the slipstream is this wind pattern that circles the globe, and it's the only way anyone can get around on the Earth anymore. To hitch a ride on the slipstream, and I can't remember anything about Bill's character. I seem to remember he had unnaturally long hair in that movie. <laughs> that's about all I. That's about all I remember. But at the time it came out, I was kind of thrilled because I, I believe it was the early, the early aughts, if I'm remembering right. And there was also a a brief window in there when Ben Kingsley was interested in Doug and Dave, was interested in acting. Ah.
1: Oh, wow.
2: An older British actor, and he'd be perfect for the characters. And at the time I was thinking, oh my God, Bill Paxton Uh and Ben Kingsley are in a movie together, it's a sign, it's a sign.
1: Oh my gosh. (laughs) Well, slipstream, and the thing is, so slipstream came out like I believe in the early '90s or late '80s, and I, because I, I remember renting it on VHS. Yeah, oh, okay. I, I rented it on VHS at Cub Foods on Highway Hundred. Um, <laughs> That's it. <a, laughs> your
0: memory is just astounding.
2: Another thing about Doug and Dave, okay, when it looked like Doug and Dave might get made, Bill's plan, which I completely agreed with was to go after uh, Sean Connery and Michael Caine.
3: Oh, wow. wow. That would be incredible.
2: That's oh a simple God. plan. Yeah. Um, you know, you couldn't do that now. They're both too old. Well, I mean, Michael Caine still works all the time, but Sir, Sir Sean doesn't seem to work much these days, so I don't think it would work. But at the time, that was some pretty heady stuff, man. <laughs> Connery and Caine, it would have been their, you know, their first movie together since uh, The Man Who Would Be King.
1: Oh, my God. Well, I mean, that would be exciting. Well, Ben Kingsley also, you know, I think about that with that movie Slipstream, because it's made not too long after Ben Kingsley was in Gandhi. You know, best picture, and he's obviously such a great actor in Gandhi. Mark Hamill, like this is one of the few movies he toplined since Star Wars. And uh, it is one of those, like, it could have been a, it, it's more of a sleeper. Like, it's, it's a pretty good movie, but it's not one that a lot of people know about. But that's a good memory there. And the thing is, is that when you look over his IMDb and you go into some of the stuff about, like, he just, he appeared in so many things. And he's always on the outskirts, but he's always memorable. Like, he's in Tombstone. He's Kurt Russell's brother. He's one of the Earp brothers in Tombstone.
2: Oh, you know what I want to see him? It's that miniseries about the Hatfields and McCoys. I think that would be interesting. Oh, yeah. D- I didn't. I, was he in that? Yeah, he he's, oh, he, plays either, he plays either Hatfield or McCoy. I'm not sure which, but yeah. <laughs> but yeah. And that was like a mini series for like the History Channel or something.
1: Yeah. Because Kevin Costner's in it, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's right. And that's another thing, too. I was going to say the, the grounded aspect and that he'd go back and do that Southern stuff. That was great. Like, you talk about the Hatfields and McCoys, or we talk about Tombstone, or um, he's, you know, he's also just in this movie called Next of Kin with Patrick Swayze as, like, a, a southern clan—not a—I can't say—like, you know, the southern—I I was going to say clansmen, but that's not, that's not what I meant— um, but like a Southern family and they have this, uh, you know, f- a feuding kind of thing similar to Hatfield and McCoy. But it's Patrick Swayze is the lead character. And it's Liam Neeson, before people knew that Liam Neeson was Irish, you know, before he, he did his. <laughs> it's a, he's got a Southern accent. And then Bill Paxton's like the other cousin. <laughs> wow, wow. So you got the Swayze, Liam Neeson. And Wendy, you met Liam Neeson live, didn't you? I did. And in person.
0: It was the New Year's of the Millennium. And he wished me a safe and prosperous New Year.
2: Oh yeah! Oh, that's so cool.
0: It was really that's cool. Fun. Yeah, the story. It's a long story, but it was fun. <laughs> Chance encounter
1: in and New he, York City. <laughs> and he didn't say, but he wasn't like walking up to you, and he wouldn't act like a. Uh, I, I just picture his character in Next of Kin because I'm one of the six people that saw Next of Kin. I'm picturing him, Patrick Swayze, and Bill Paxton, like all they, you know, they with the redneck outfits and like the tough Patrick guys. Swayze's like, "Do you believe in the hereafter?" then you know what I'm here after. I think that was his big line from from that movie. He wasn't like that. (laughs) Okay, all right. You know, and one last interesting thing about Bill Paxton that goes into more of the conspiracy theory kind of stuff is that he was there the day that JFK was assassinated. That's right. Oh, wow. Was he
3: eight years old, though? Yes. (laughs) So he didn't pull the trigger. (laughs) Still. I don't think. I mean, whoa. I am eight. (laughs) Good. Could happen,
1: you know. He's Bill good Paxton good was on the grassy knoll. Hand
3: and I coordination, <laughs> oh uh, you know, out of the eight-year-old, probably enough. Just just, just, we, just, just, right there.
1: We can say that now that he's passed. Bill Paxton was the second shooter. <laughs> uh. Lance oh. Henriksen was the was the first shooter. He was the backup. Um, <laughs> no, but as an eight-year-old, he's in the crowd waving when President Kennedy emerges from the Hotel Texas in Fort Worth on the morning of November twenty-second, nineteen sixty-three. And there's pictures at the Sixth Floor Museum in Dallas where he can be seen on the shoulders of somebody. So, like, he's mm-hmm. he's there. Like, Bill Paxton was so good at showing up to good movies and exciting events, he was even there <laughs> for the JFK assassination.
3: <laughs> he's there for everything.
1: Man, that guy is a- Yeah. So the thing is, like, a, a really fun actor and some cool memories uh, thank you, Mark, for joining us and talking about your personal memories of Bill Paxton. And that's really exciting because even before I saw your picture, it was, it was funny because... Last Sunday, when I finally passed, I was like, oh, no, that sucks. And you see all these, you know, when they talked about it on television, they were just talking about some of his more mainstream stuff. And I was like, Bill Paxton's been in so many great, like, sci-fi horror films. Like, he really was always riding the edges of some of the best stuff from Near Dark to Aliens to The Terminator. He was always there. I was like... We got to talk about him on the show because he was a part of so many of the movies that influenced the things that we discuss on the program. And then when I saw that you had a relationship with him, like we got to talk to Mark about what kind of guy he was. So thank you very much.
2: Yeah. Thanks, Mark. It's been a load of fun. I really appreciate it. It's always fun to work with you three.
1: Likewise yeah. to you. <laughs> and we're going to be talking again in a couple of months when the Close Encounters man comes out. We're really looking forward to that.
3: Yeah. We Big Ben people have to stay together.
2: Hell Yeah. My dad's already got the Big Bend Village Library stoked about
1: my book. So. Woo-hoo, oh, all nice. right, <laughs> so big time. Well, that's exciting because <laughs> that means that a kid uh, who went to the same library that we all did, there's going to be a kid going there in the next yeah. few years, and he's and he's going to be a into freak UFOs, like he's going like to be ghosts, right? <laughs> there's wow. going to be a, a young weirdo going to the library, <laughs> and he's going to he's going to pick up your book.
2: I love that thought Mike that is such a great yeah, I love it that is really cool <laughs> totally so love that, it, yeah. that's
1: super exciting <laughs> and uh, so I want to thank Allison from Milwaukee Ghosts Mark O'Connell Jonathan. and the, the upcoming book The Close Encounters Man thank you very much for joining us today
2: thank you have a great weekend you too
1: now Wendy let's finish up by talking about the song for this week and the song for this week is influenced by Bill Paxton's most famous role and that role is? Well, that's Hudson and Aliens. He's the, the, <laughs> of course. so memorable as Hudson <laughs> and Aliens. And the thing is, when we want to talk about Bill Paxton, the first thing I thought was, oh my God, we have a demo in the hopper that's been around for a couple of years now. That fits the bill. That perfectly oh, oh. fits the bill. See what I did just there? Oh, man. You're killing me, Wynn. <laughs> you really are killing me. Um, but, but this particular song is influenced by the ending scene in Aliens, where... And if you guys remember the end of Aliens, Ripley Sigourney Weaver's character gets into this big exoskeleton to fight the alien queen. Remember that? Oh yeah. Yeah, of course. Everybody and she says the famous line, "Get away from her, you." And <laughs> and that's the big ending of uh that's the beginning of Aliens. But the thing is how she feels when she's inside that, that invincibility of being inside the exoskeleton Sometimes when people get all juiced up and ready to fight, they need to have that feeling. And that's what this song's about. And it's called Power Loader. listening
0: to today's episode. You can find us online at othersidepodcast.com. Until next time, see you on the other side.
1: <gasps> I can't believe we almost forgot our Patreon community, Wendy, we never forget them. No. What are you talking no, about? No, we will never forget you, Patreon community, because <laughs> you guys don't forget about us. And want to thank everybody who makes the show possible every week and makes it extra fun and helps us do the cool stuff, the songs, the podcast videos, and a lot of very cool yes, stuff. Yes, thank you up. so much. And uh, Ned, Mr. Ned, Dr. Ned, sorry.
0: Uh, Ned. Dr. Ned,
1: thank you very much for your contributions and your Patreon support. We absolutely appreciate it.
0: And if you want to join the community, you can do that at OthersidePodcast.com slash donate. Always happy to see new people in there and look forward to our next hangout, which is coming up real quickly
1: here.
2: See you there. I was easily confused as a little boy.